Today on the show, we're talking about whether parents should support their adult children. Welcome to the Simple Money Solutions Podcast, where we focus on your money from a Canadian perspective. This podcast is produced weekly and released every Monday. Show notes for every episode can be found at livelifesimple.ca. Now let's get on with the show. Hey everyone, I'm your host Courtney and joining me today is my co-host Trevor. As mentioned in the introduction, today we're talking about whether parents should support their adult children. So Trevor, today our news article is called When Boomers Should Turn the Taps Off or On When It Comes to Financial Assistance for Their Kids by Jonathan Chevreau which we've also covered an article by his in the past. And this article was in the Financial Post. So I'm just going to jump in and read it, and then we'll break down for our listeners step-by-step the the elements of this article. So in Jonathan Chevreau's words, for many baby boomers on the cusp of retirement, the issue about what kind of financial assistance, if any, they should extend to their millennial or Gen X children. You may have heard the term KIPPERS used by retirement specialist Doug Tamer. The acronym stands for Kids and Parents' Pockets Eroding Retirement Savings. Now, kids will justifiably protest they didn't ask to be born, and parents do have a certain amount of obligation financially to launch their offspring into an increasingly complex work environment. There's much to be said for giving with a warm hand rather than a cold one. At least our own households, we view the family finances as a unit. So when it comes to keeping taxes to a minimum, we endeavor to fully fund our TFSAs. We only have one child, but by helping her fund her TFSA, that results in a 50% increase in previous TFSA room for the family as a whole. We like the suggestion by Winnipeg-based tax guru and author Evelyn Jacks, try to start funding juniors TFSA when they turn 18 and incent them to save by matching their contributions. So if they can save $2,750, the parents would match that by adding another $2,750, thereby getting the 5,500 annual TFSA limit. While there should be limits to parental generosity, luxury, luxury cars, world cruises, and the latest tech gadgets are things that kids should fund on their own, the notion of maximizing family wealth as a unit also extends to debt. We have always warned our child of the perils of compounding high-interest consumer debt incurred as a result of injurious use of their credit cards. Rule one for us is to pay off the entire balance every month so not a penny of interest is expended. If that means dipping into into a TFSA, then so be it. No stock investment can consistently top the savings that paying down 20% interest credit card debt can achieve. I agree, parents should not jeopardize their own retirement just so the kids can live a higher lifestyle than they otherwise could afford. If you believe in your kids having no credit card debt, that goes double for parents near retirement, and ideally having a paid off mortgage as well. I'd I'd argue that parents shouldn't even fantasize about retiring if they they themselves still are still in debt. I often write that the foundation of financial independence is a paid for home. So I think that if the parental retirement finances are sound, they can, if they wish, help the child scrape up a down payment for our first home. We all know home prices in Vancouver and Toronto are sky high. Those who espouse tough love may prefer to see the kids renting in hope of a major correction in pricing. That may be a long wait, however, and the beauty of the TFSA is the proceeds can be used to help come up with that hefty down payment without taking a tax hit. If the kids have friends whose parents think along the same lines of this column, here's a suggestion. Why can't three millennial friends who know and trust each other not pull their TFSAs to get a down payment on a three-bedroom condo? 
They each get their own bedrooms and will also enjoy the communal shared spaces like living room and kitchen and maybe even pools, gyms, and party rooms. Instead of individually throwing away money on rent and being subject to annual rent hikes from their landlords, they'll be building up the equity they can ultimately be used to buy their own homes, perhaps with partners when they've not yet met. The other area I believe parents can help financially in is education. Since I believe in never turning down free money from the government, ideally parents begin a registered education savings plan, RESP, after the birth of each child. 18 or so years later, the child should be able to attend higher education without financial pressure, which will make it all the easier to fund their TFSAs at 18 with or without the parental matching program. As to graduate school, this may be one place parents can draw the line, depending on their own retirement preparedness. It's true that many undergrad degrees may not be automatic tickets to full-time employment. If it's clear a specialist degree or certificate can make the difference in the job market, then this is a type of good debt I condone. Help if you can or suggest junior borrow and or work part-time. Is there an age where parental legaris must end? There was a CBC documentary a few, few years ago on boomerang kids that used the Italian phrase big babies to describe adult children still living at home in their 30s. Some parents may decide a particular age like 25 or 30 is the time to financially throw the little birdies out of their nest, but of course, every case is different. So again, the entire article in its totality was by Jonathan Chevreau from the Financial Post called When Boomers Should Turn the Taps Off or On When It Comes to Financial Assistance for Their Kids. So Trevor, let's go through this article now and just break it down and really dissect the root of this article and what it's trying to convey. So I want to go back up to paragraph one when the worm, the term kippers, uh, which was by used by the retirement specialist Doug Damer, and kids and parents' pockets eroding retirement savings. I find this a really interesting uh, acronym. Yeah, this interesting concept. I've never heard that one before. He kind of refers to it as it's a, a often used term. It's it's new to me. It's definitely a, a concern. If you focus solely on your children's well-being, uh, they they could erode retirement planning altogether. I I, I think it, it's something you could easily fall victim to. Trevor, I'm not a parent myself, but I know you are. And I've, I've heard the saying that when you have, you don't know the love you have for a child until you have one yourself. So at what point would a parent do anything for their child? Well, at, at any time. It's 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 something, you're, you're correct when you say that. You don't know until you're a parent yourself. No parent is going to stand back and watch their child suffer uh, financially. It's 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 just so hard. Uh, but at some point, you have to let them stand on their own two feet. And it's actually it takes more restraint as a parent to stand back and watch your child struggle than it than it does to actually pull out your wallet and help them. So it, unless you're a parent, it's hard to see that. But it's 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 actually it's far more difficult to not help your children than it is to help them. Would you say that the struggling aspect is? It's it's important. Would you say it's important for their child for a child? Well, I think everybody grows with a level of adversity. So, faced with adversity, somebody gets stronger for the next uh, adverse uh, situation they face. So, if a child has never faced adversity, and here we're talking about financial adversity, meaning they have to make uh, tough decisions uh, where to spend their money. Is it for food and rent, or is it to go out and and have a good time at a at a night at the bar? If you never have to make that tough decision, uh, you, if you have to make that tough decision, you're going to grow from it. But if you never have to make that tough decision, you're never you're never going to learn the the consequences of a bad decision. And would you say that 
children who are babied along financially don't do as well later on in life because I would have to say yes to that. Oh, definitely. If, if you've if you've had had a sort of a safety net your whole life, a financial safety net, meaning if you made a bad decision uh, and, it, and it cost you, again, I'll go back to you, and you were unable to pay your rent, knowing your parents would step up and, and write that rent check for you, you just, you you become careless and, and, and less, uh, you look at things with less of a critical eye. You're, you're, you're more of a risk taker. And I think there is a very important distinction about the word struggle. So struggle on your own where your parents are in no way, shape or form a part of your financial life versus having your parents' emotional support in a distance and willing to be there if they if the child needs that help, but the child not relying on that support. Well, you, you know, nobody can afford can afford financially to make all the mistakes in life. They, they would just go bankrupt. So you do need to get the opinions of, of people who've been there before, you know, in, particularly in buying a house. You know, a, a bank will loan you all the money you want, but there is a... Uh, you know, sometimes you need a, a, a somebody with a vested interest in your well-being to say, "Hey, that house is probably a little too expensive for you." So you you need you definitely need your parents' support in decision making, financial decision making. But you don't necessarily need their money. But you need you do need their input. I I I truly believe you cannot afford to make all the mistakes yourself. So Trevor, my next question, it's about the concept of tough love. Do you believe that there's an alternative way? to teach your child good financial smarts other than making them work the second they enter high school or making them pay for everything, their post-secondary education. Do you believe there's a way that you can instill that into your child without making them work and, and work hard? Well, I think that the, we talked about this in a previous episode, teaching uh, uh, our youth about personal finance. And I think uh, teaching somebody to work hard and teaching something how to be wise with money are two two separate lessons in life. One definitely feeds the other, but to be smart with money, it, it's it's all about how you spend it and how you earn it is it, that that's a whole other lesson in life. So I think this article is really focused on the spending aspect of of, of it, and I, I think you need to have real life expense expenses in front of you to help you gain an appreciation for for life in general. Trevor, that is an absolutely phenomenal distinction, which I think I think is kind of lost in the whole making your kids work hard for their money. It, the distinction we made between earn versus spend because they are completely different. So so I, I'm in agreement with you. Your kid does not need to work the second they enter high school in order to be smart about how they spend their money. I, I really like that distinction. So I do want to move through the article, just a few sentences down in the first paragraph. I don't agree with the statement and I just want to hear your take on it. Quote, they didn't ask to be born and parents do, do have a certain amount of obligation financially to launch their offspring into an increasingly complex work environment, end quote. Oh, I truly believe the parents do have a, not a, a certain amount of obligation, but a, a complete obligation to prepare their kids for uh, our society today and educating them is step one. So I, I believe the parents need to primarily fund their post-secondary education of their, of their children the, the children still need to make a contribution, uh, be it groceries, uh, books, you know, s- some sort of contribution on their part. But uh, I think it's it's on the parents. And, and if you think of in Canada, the I know we live in Ontario and there's a, a government loan, it's called OSAP. And when you register for that, the one of the requirements is the parents have to disclose their income. 
So even the government thinks that parents have a role in funding their child's education because it determines how much grant or loan that you're eligible for depending on how much your parents make. So clearly, uh, it, it's it's not just my opinion. It's it's a the, the system thinks that too. I just don't like the beginning of the statement, quote, now kids will justifiably protest that they didn't ask to be born, end quote. I just, I just feel that that sounds a little entitled. Like children are entitled to receive money from their parents because they're placed on this on the earth be- because of them. Nobody has to be born, and but that that doesn't put the onus on, on the parents and, and none on the child. I mean, the fact is, you you were born, and we need to move forward. Definitely, yeah. So I just I didn't really that the little that first part I kind of sound a little entitled, a little. A little like you are deserving of this because you're here, but I do agree with the whole support your child through post-secondary. Even the government says so. I so I agree with that statement. Trevor, what's your take on? Actually, first before I ask that question, can you just explain for our listeners the concept of a TFSA because that term was brought up a lot in this uh, this article. Yeah, TFSA is an acronym for tax-free savings account, and as the you put money in a tax-free savings account, it grows tax-sheltered. So it, it's just a way of tax sheltering your money. It talks about using a TFSA as in as a family unit. Can you explain that concept? Well, under the uh, Canadian Income Tax Act, each individual over the age of 18 is allowed to put $5,500 in a tax sheltered TFSA. So uh, the author of the article is suggesting that everybody should maximize that $5,500 every year by the parents putting the money in their ch- children's TFSAs or partially in it they're tax sheltering some of their money as well. So they're saying it's a, a family unit of money. Do you agree with that outlook on a TFSA? Uh, as an adult child, I, I think you need to look after your own TFSAs. I think this is really retirement savings or, or saving to buy a home. You know, everyone needs to fund their own. So this isn't something that you would have done with your kids if you could turn back time after reading this article? Well, there's only so much money to go around. So if, if, you're, in, in a, if you're funding your ch- children's education... Uh, you you probably can't be funding their their education, funding their retirement, funding their first home purchase, paying off your mortgage, and funding your own retirement. I mean, there's only so much money to go around. Definitely, oh for sure. So this next quote quote: Parents should not jeopardize their own retirement just so the kids can live a higher lifestyle than they otherwise could afford. End quote. And I think this statement is so important because it really does draw the line between what what parental support was actually meant for well in the, the things they, they talk about luxury cars world cru- cruises and, and vacations and tech gadgets none of those things are going to move your child's life forward I, I can't say you won't have joy in those things but they're not going to move them forward in life those are just just frills and so i think he's the author is suggesting that if you're going to invest in your child in some way Make sure it's something that's going to make a difference in their life and move them forward, help them grow. And, and these, these type of luxuries, that they wouldn't. That's a phenomenal distinction, Trevor. And I think that is one that really ties the whole meaning of this article together is that it, it should be things that are, are truly, truly important, such as an education. Things that, you're right, like you said, move their life forward. So this next one, I just want to get your take on it because I find it, I, I don't know, I find it, it was an interesting statement, quote, Foundation of financial independence is a paid-for home. So I think that if the parental retirement finances are sound, they can, if they wish, help the kids scrape up a down payment for a first home, end quote. So I'm going to start off by saying that I completely downright do not agree with this statement. Well, we had uh, we did a show earlier called The Wealthy Renter, and he kind of dispels the concept that 
uh, a home is is a great investment. What a, what buying a home does is it forces you to it's forced savings as we talked about before. You're forced to pay back that mortgage. So it, it's a tool to build wealth. For, and if you don't have the discipline to build it some other way, it is a great tool. And a pay for a home is kind of like you having your life jacket on, so now you can help somebody else put theirs on. If you have a paid for a home, you're obviously you have reduced expenses, and it does put you in a position to help your children. For instance, I had my mortgage paid off, and that enabled me to fund to cash flow my ch- my three children's post secondary education. So it, it was a foundation for me. I but I could have got there another way. I could have in you know uh, maybe paid off my mortgage slower and put my money into other investments that may have provided dividend uh, payouts that that would help me fund my child's education. But having a paid-for home, it is a good foundation without question, and and it does put you in a good position when you don't have, uh, when you have reduced living expenses to help your children. But if we're looking strictly at the idea of helping their kids to put down a down payment for their own home, well, yeah, and then now that part of the article, I, I kind of disagree. That's the part that I disagree with too. And this is kind of where we got into Canada's housing boom that we're in right now is parents are helping their children with down payments for houses that they otherwise wouldn't afford. So you've actually increased the number of buyers in the, in the real estate market. That and that's throwing the entire equilibrium off of the housing market. It, it is. You're moving money from one generation to another, particularly when grandparents are helping their grandchildren. When you move money generationally like that, the people avail- able to buy houses, there would right now there would be a big peak in that graph. And I think, I know for me, I had to save up to buy a house myself and my parents saved up to buy a house themselves. When you start pulling money from other generations, you, you throw the supply and demand equilibrium way off. And that's what, that's what I was wondering. If, if every gen, I know you want better for your kids than you received yourself, but I should understand why that the fact that if the kids can't afford the house, why renting is not an obvious alternative as opposed to buying a house for that child? Well, it, it, renting is, everyone, I, I think almost everyone starts out renting. So it, everyone's done it, you know, and it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And again, the wealthy renter, we did a, a show on on that and the, the very positive spin that maybe everybody should consider renting. But you, when you save up for a down payment on a house, that's kind of like a, a financial test that you have developed the self-discipline to hold on to that house once you have it. And so if you've gone through the adversity and the hard work to save up that down payment and put it down in the house, you're not about to lose that house through other bad financial decisions once you bought it because you'll have gone through all that hard work, all that suffering, that sacrifice to come up with that down payment. Now you're not going to run up a bunch of credit cards and jeopardize not being in like your mortgage payment. So it's almost a rite of passage. It's a it's an, a test of adversity before you actually sink your money in that you you have the self-discipline to actually pay a mortgage and 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 the financial responsibility. So saving up the down payment is it's it it helps you make a mental shift to owning a house. Oh, I could not agree more because if you look at it from that aspect, when is the parental support going to end? If the child's been receiving parental financial support for well, exactly. their whole life, for everything, for for frivolous for frivolous gadgets, and all of a sudden they're getting it for their house, and and otherwise and otherwise that means they don't have the financial abilities by themselves to to own that house. So why are they even in the first place? Well, exactly. If the parents, if if they were given the down payment, and then 
they one of them loses you know say it's a couple they're giving a down payment on a house and someone loses their job and all of a sudden they can't make their mortgage payment well if they go back to those same parents and say hey can you help us with these these mortgage payments till we find another job the parents they they've created a, a money pit for them they're gonna they're they're not going to let those kids lose that house. It's, it's their down payment that's going to be gone. And I think this is really the core of the issue is where does it end? Well, I, I think, you know, once you've given the kids a down payment, you're almost in, in a partnership with them. And I know we were talking about this, I mean, with our rent versus buy episode and in previous episodes too, but I don't think the the shininess of owning a new home is as prevalent as it was in the past. I I mean, home ownership is always going to be something that is important. But with the increase of the renting market and the increase of being okay with renting as opposed to home ownership as in comparison to your generation, I don't see why the rush would be to head into home ownership. Well, with the record low interest rates, I think more home ownership is more popular and people are getting it in a younger age uh, because interest rates are so low and that, that sort of smoke and mirror show that, it, you know, uh, owning a house is the same as paying rent, but we've done in previous shows where that's not the case. I, I think renting, we've said it before, has a stigma attached to it, and people want to get out of that as soon as possible. So that's part of it, I think, and it, it, that's that's unfortunate, but I think there there is a negative stigma to renting right now. Definitely, and I think once you can fully move out of that, I think the issue of parents feeling compelled to help their children afford a home because that's the only way their child can comfortably live will eliminate this this issue of parents supporting their adult children. Well, and it might be a status thing. You know, maybe today, uh, if, your, if your kids, do, you know, as a parent, if your kids don't own a house, it reflects poorly on the parent. You know, that, that could be, uh, I, I'm, my kids aren't at that age yet, but maybe when they are, I will feel that way. You know, people say, oh, your, your kid's still renting, you know, when you talk to other parents, and you'll feel ashamed. I, I don't know, maybe... Maybe it's a reflection on the parent. I know, you know, with little kids, when they're when they're dressed poorly in, in ripped clothes, it's, you know, as a parent, I, I take that personally, you know, that my kid went to school with, with raggedy clothes on. Um, it's, it's not a reflection of my child. It's a reflection of my ability to provide for that child. So, so maybe today parents feel the same way. They, if their kids are renting and they're, they're in their mid-30s, the parent has failed. So maybe that's what motivates them to, to come up with a down payment for them. That's a phenomenal point. That is, that's, that's a really great point. I do want to ask though, in, you talked about previous generations, you paid for your own home, your, your parents paid for their own home. Why are we only seeing this now where parents are, feel compelled to help their adult children? Is it, and therefore contributing to our, our housing market crisis? Well, yeah, that's what it, it's, it's one's one. It's you're feeding the monster. This is this Canadian housing boom is the reason it is, Parents are helping their kids buy houses because if, if we, they don't buy now, they'll, you know, the prices are going to keep going up. They'll never afford to get in the housing market. You know, we, if, if your kid is saving up to buy a house and it's taken them two years, uh, those houses might have gone up by $50,000 or $100,000 in those two years. So it's sort of a, you're feeding the monster by, by giving them the down payment and putting one more person in that, in that uh, demand cycle to, of buying houses. So it's really a, a cat and mouse game. So Okay, so it was one vicious cycle where enough parents had enough money, were like, this seems like a good idea, and then that has just catapulted in domino effect. Yeah, the whole we've, ar- okay. we've artificially created demand. Well, not artificially. We've created 
demand with people who haven't earned the money. Definitely. Trevor, would you say that the parents helping other adult children is something new for this time period or the extent to which this is happening is new for this time period? Or is this always something that has existed? No, when, when I was uh, buying a house and friends of mine were buying houses, I don't recall anybody. I mean, not everybody shares, shares their inner, inner secrets with you, but I don't recall anybody who um, had their parents give them a down payment. I mean, they may have helped them out with some furniture or uh, maybe, you know, maybe they moved in the house and it needed a, a new roof. As soon as they moved in, maybe the parents helped them with a roof or something like that. But I don't personally know anybody where their parents gave them a down payment uh, to buy a house. If you had a theoreticize about why this is happening, what would you say? Everybody feels they, they need to own a home. It's the Canadian dream, home ownership, and they, they want to help their kids get there as, as quickly as possible. And because of the, the domino effect, you almost need your parents' help. Yeah, so as we feed this monster, the, the housing boom, it's almost impossible to do it on your own. Without, without, your, without somebody's help, how are you going to afford a, a million-dollar house in Toronto as your first-time buyer. Very true. That's a great point. I do want to point out this one quote, which I think resonates really well with you. Quote, I'd argue that parents shouldn't even fantasize about retiring if they were themselves still in debt, end quote. Yeah, you you can't be making mortgage payments with your uh, pension check. It, it, the, the math won't work for very long. You need to have your financial house in order. If, if you're funding your kid's lifestyle and... That means you're going to work till you're 70 or 75. That's a, a formula that's going to result in a lot of resentment at some point in time. Moving down, Trevor, what do you think of the concept of pooling money together as, a, as friends for a down payment on a condo? Yeah, I don't know if I'm a fan of that. I know a few people that did that, and it didn't end well. In, I know two different groups of people that, that bought real estate together, and there was a falling out at some point, and... In this one scenario, the housing market went into a downturn and uh, the person that wanted out ended up losing money. I don't know that real estate is the best investment. You know, if you want to pool the money into an investment in the stock market, you might do better. Couples, they get married, they have these prenuptial agreements sometimes when they, and they buy a house and, and it's like a written contract of how the assets will be divided in the event of a breakup. So I guess if you went into this with a written contract... Uh, how one party will buy out the other party. I guess it might work, but I mean, if if you were going to university and you're living with three other people for four years, and then you went in to buy a house, those same people are maybe three different, two other people. I think at some point you're going to get tired of living in, in sort of that uh, transient lifestyle or that, you know, you kind of want your place of your own. To To turn it towards a more irrelevant perspective, my perspective, as close as I am with my best friends. And again, like renting seems to be the alternative to buying a condo because this does, again, like you said, seem like a very permanent living situation, whereas renting, it's a little bit more flexible because at that, at the young age that I am at, your your desires change, where you want to live changes, what you want to do changes so often. Yeah, you don't know. That everything is very volatile. It also would limit your employment uh, opportunities. So if a job opportunity came up in another city, what are you what are you gonna do? Are you gonna sublet your you know rent out your room in in the, the in the home you, that you're buying with your friends? What if they don't like that renter? I, I think at a young age, it, I'm a big fan of renting for young people. You know, build your career, get your experience. Uh, maybe 
move to good job opportunities. And then once you're, you're established in your particular profession and your income level has gone up and you've you know, experienced a bit of life, then maybe uh, sink some money into, uh, into a home. I have to agree. I maybe it's because of my positive experiences, a renter or or some, or anything like that. But I don't, as a personally, and I'm I, maybe a lot of other students feel the same way that they they have no rush to launch into being a homeowner, being an adult because they don't mind renting. And also, I I do want to say that I I just came to the realization of this right now. But I think if you transition from living at your parents' house to it, pretend you don't go to post-secondary, so right from your parents' house to a rental property. I think that's a rude adjustment and a rude awakening. But I think this generation, my generation, is more post-secondary bound. So they live that student life, which everyone knows is a little bit more poverty, a little bit more cutting corners. So I think you get used to that lifestyle and you and you normalize it. Yeah, so if, if that's what you're used to, uh, you wouldn't have to step up too much to think you're you're living a better life in a in a fancier apartment or a more less of a, less like student housing, you don't have to actually step right up and buy a place. And when you own a house, it comes with all sorts of responsibilities that maybe you don't want as a young person. You know, you're busy living a a, a freer lifestyle. I mean, we've we've done this rent versus buy show, and it I I own a home, so I I can't say it's a bad idea. Obviously, I bought one, but and. I don't regret the, the time I rented, and I, I think looking back, I might have been happier renting a little longer, but it was peer pressure that pushed me into buying a house sooner rather than later. So Trevor, moving along, I do like how Jonathan Chavreau says, quote, the other area I believe parents can help financially is in education, end quote. This is just a straightforward, blunt, to the point statement that I know you and I both heavily agree in. Investing in education is, uh, the return on investment is huge. If you're faced with a, a minimum wage job versus what you would get with a post-secondary education, uh, helping your kids get that education and let, making sure they come out at the other end debt-free, meaning no student debt, uh, giving them a, a nice clean slate to start life with, there isn't a better thing you could do for your child than, than provide them with a paid-for education. Which I definitely agree is such a worthy investment as opposed to investing in a house because investing in education will allow that individual to make the money to be able to put a down payment for their house. So I think... It, it's kind of twofold investing in education. Yeah, it's, it is far and away the biggest return on investment. So Trevor, before the show, we were talking about how you have never, for your kids, had a RESP for them. Um, can you just explain for our listeners what your belief behind those are and how maybe you differ from maybe the norm, the norm belief? Well, for me, I, I'm not saying it was the, the right decision. Obviously, the RESP is free money from the government. But I was so focused on paying off my mortgage, I knew if I could get rid of that debt, then that cash would be freed up to cash flow uh, the post-secondary education. It turns out it worked out well. Rather than uh, sort of splitting my money between paying off my mortgage and investing in RESPs, I, I think RESPs are a good idea and everyone should invest in them. But Trevor, if we go back up to this line, quote, foundation of financial independence is a paid for home, end quote. Do you believe you would have paid off your home as of now, if you were investing in RESP? Uh, you know, I probably would have uh, still had a mortgage and had my kids in post-secondary, which would have been a, um, a struggle. So I, I don't regret not doing it because it, it it's, it's worked out anyway. But it's kind of hard to turn down the free money that you get with the RESP. Anytime you get free money from the government, that's always a win. 
Definitely. I just think the way that you went about it with your children, I think is something that maybe doesn't cross as many individuals' minds because, I mean, as growing up myself, it was an RSP. That was what was important. And I never even crossed my mind that there were alternative ways that a parent could save up and put their kid through school. Well, the way I approached it was I figured if I had no debt at all, that was my goal, I would spend money differently. Meaning, if you have debt, to spend a little bit more, you know, to add a little bit more to that debt through a home equity line of credit or something, it's not going to change your life a whole lot. But when you have no debt, zero debt, the, the concept of spending money that you don't have would mean a significant change to your life. You would all of a sudden have to get approved for a loan. You'd have to set up a mechanism to repay the loan. For people that do that already, that doesn't sound like a big deal. But when you don't have debt at all, it completely changes the way you spend money. So that was my mindset about getting rid of my mortgage. Is I knew that if I didn't have a debt, including a mortgage, a car loan, nothing, then I would never spend more money than I earned. So in conclusion of that statement, what would you recommend for our listeners? Would you recommend the route that you took, paying off your mortgage, and then putting your children through post-secondary? Or would you have invested in RESP and maybe still been paying off your mortgage? Well, a lot of people like to just do math on personal finance. You know, they look at uh, how much interest am I paying on my mortgage versus how much interest am I going to get on this investment versus, you know, the the money I'm going to get from my RESP from the government. And I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. People get tired of hearing it. Personal finance is 80% behavior, 20% math. And so the 80% behavior, my behavior was altered by not having debt. And not having debt enabled me to change my spending patterns, which made me more financially responsible. I really I really like that statement, Trevor, how as much as people do try to make it a financial equation, what makes sense financially, logically, you really do have to look at what what's going to work for you mentally and psychologically and what's going to make it work. So I, I really like that you added that nice spin to it. Moving through the article, though, I, how do you feel about this? Um, the second last paragraph, it talks about drawing the line with graduate school. Yeah, at some point you got to cut it off because you could continue to fund your kids' education for multiple degrees and multiple um, graduate degrees. At some point, you know, so I did a, a certification and I, I was able to get that funded through my employer. And that took some effort. I had to find an employer that was willing to sign up for that. If my parents would have signed up for it, I wouldn't have you know, taken the time to pursue finding an employer that would, would fund that education. So necessity is the mother of invention. Not having a means of funding that post-grad, I had to find a way to get it done. So I think that's on the, on the kids. At some point, you've got to saw it off. I agree, and I do agree with um, Chabot's statement of, quote, if it's clear a specialist degree or certificate can make the difference in the job market, then this is a good debt I can condone, end quote. And I do have to agree with this. If there's one more element of the education that can help their child really succeed, I, I think this is this is deserving of the parental, parental help. So one way of looking at it is if you can motivate your child to go, in, go into a post-secondary education, they got a, a really good chance at success. They're going to develop uh, life skills by doing that. Then the postgrad degree, th- that's just going to take their earnings or their lifestyle to another level. 
and they're going to reap all those benefits. So by the parents funding an undergrad degree, you've probably done enough that the child can support themselves. Everything after that, that's just gravy for the child. You know, that's just going to make their life better. So I think that's, that's on them. Oh, for sure. I have to agree with that. So, Jeffrey, just the last thing I want to touch on with this article is the, quote, adult children still living at home in their 30s, end quote, and also conjoined with that is, quote, throw the little birdies out of the nest, end quote. So I think this is this just nicely concludes the article in that at some point, again, the tough love, letting your children make their own mistakes is really highlighted here. You know, I, I listened to uh, a podcast. It's by Dave Ramsey. He's a guy in the, in the United States, but he does a personal finance radio show. People phone in and ask him questions, and I find it very motivational and entertaining. I, I'd recommend it to people. But I remember listening to it once, and a, and a lady called in, and she was, uh, I'll see, she was in her 30s. And she said, uh, she asked him, you know, I, I have an opportunity, I live with my parents, and I've been given a, a chance to rent an apartment uh, at a really good price, but I'm also trying to save up for a house. But if I take the apartment, I have to take it like next month. Uh, What do you think I should do? And Dave Ramsey's response was, can you be moved out of your house, your parents' house by the end of the day? And she said, what day? And he said, today. And uh, she said, well, no, I don't get the apartment until next month. Well, he said, the point he was trying to make was, you can't, you've got to get out of your parents' house. You're you're not growing. You've got to, anyone who's 30 years old and living at home, in, in my mind, the parents' Who, who are letting their kids live in their homes, that is a form of child abuse. You're, you're limiting that child's growth by, by letting them live in your home at, at that age. Unless there's a, a physical or mental disorder, I can't think of any reason why a, a 30-year-old child should be living with their parents. I feel uh, like ch- parents may be thinking they are, they're doing it out of love, but really it's, it's the opposite. You're stunting that, that, that individual's growth beyond correction. By, by letting them live in your, your basement or in your house that long. It, it's again, it's not it's not about the money. It's about the growth, the what, what you the skills you develop by living on your own are, are you can only develop those skills by living on your own. You, you can't be taught them under the, your parents roof. Oh, and as, as an individual who is very, very closer to that than maybe you, even even moving home for the summer to live with my parents, you really you kind of feel the difference between living living on your own while post-secondary and then living with them for those those four months well to come and go as you please i mean it sounds pretty simple but i mean if you're living with your parents if a child is living with his parents i don't care what age they are your parents are going to say you know what time are you going to be home they're concerned about your well-being and so they should be but when when my kids aren't home i have no idea if they're out till two o'clock in the morning or if they were home in bed at eight and i don't phone to check up so it it also, it, it's for the parents' own mental health to, to, to re- relieve yourself of that burden. Oh, for sure. So I definitely think that this, that having your kids move out of their, out of your home is way, way, way more than about the financial assistance because you can still provide your child with financial assistance, maybe if they're just getting on their feet, but still living on their own. So I, I, I really like how they underscored that. So Trevor, before we... And this episode, is there any other final simple money solutions or takeaways that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I would say it's important to help your kids financially, but it's more important to help them emotionally. Well, that is it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to check out the show notes where we'll have this article linked. 
Make sure to give us a rating on iTunes and check out all our social media platforms to keep them updated throughout the week. And if you ever have any other suggestions about articles or topics that you'd like us to cover here on the show, send us an email. We'd like to hear from you. And until next week, keep it simple.